Welcome to the Bartender Atlas Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lindley. This week, part two, just like the godfather, Austin Powers, of this podcast with the Cocktail Bandits from Charleston, South Carolina. This week, I'm talking to Tanika Reeves. Uh, We talk a little bit about what it's like to move from a very well-integrated small town to a giant and not-as-well-integrated big city, carving out a space for yourself in that city, and then using that space positively. How much time do you need to spend on Instagram if you're a freelancer? And then uh, a little bit more Charleston history. No need to mess around anymore. Here is Tanika Reeves on the Bartender Atlas podcast. On the phone with Tanika Reeves uh, of the Cocktail Bandits in Charleston. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing all right. It's been warm up here lately. I like that. I'll take the heat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tanika, I'm going to start this off the way that I start all of these off. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a very small town called Mullen, South Carolina. It's about two hours away from Charleston, South Carolina. And there's about 3,000 people in my small town. So that's where I grew up. That's very small. Is there any... Is there anything in Mullins in this small town that anyone would know about? Like, is there a famous, like, baseball player from there or, like, a weird statue or something? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. No. We'll go with no. That's no, fine. It's a very small rural tobacco town. Yeah. And uh, we have two grocery stores, seven lights. I mean, it's just super, super humble is what I'll say. Like, very, very small. When you were going to school, when you were a little kid in Mullins, what kind of school were you going to? I went to a public school. Well, the only school um, in Mullins, we only have two schools. So you had the public school and you had the private school. Mm -hmm. And so I went to public school. Did you like school? Were you into it when you were a kid? I loved school. Yes, I loved school. I love learning. I still love learning. I just love seeing new things and like I even enjoy seeing other people light up when they learn something new. So that's what I really enjoyed about school, just the new experiences and being able to discover every day. What was high school like for you? High school was a little different. I um, played an instrument all through high school. And, you know, you're in classes and you're playing in band and then you're dealing with teenage things. And my goal in high school was to get out of the town. That was my goal <laughs> in high school. <laughs> Even if it was for just a year, I just had to see something different. You're speaking my language, man. I couldn't wait to get out of high school. Uh, what instrument did you play? I played saxophone and clarinet. Both reeds. <laughs> yes. Do you still play at all? I play a little bit with my saxophone, um, but I don't. I haven't touched a clarinet since high school. And were you just fully into band was it like band geek territory or did you compete at certain level i was a band geek i actually even got a a small scholarship to go to a school to play in band but you know when you're younger you don't think that these things will be careers you're taught that you should go to school for the doctor or a lawyer or things like that and then you just feel like you're what you're good at and your talents aren't good enough to get you a good check i don't know why i thought that but that's something that we're all told enough of <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you have that one in a billion chances of being a successful musician right but like it's hard to bet on yourself 
and they don't give you other options like, hey, maybe you could be a part of a cartoon or maybe you could be a part of a screenplay. Maybe you could compose some music. It's just a whole big world and people limit it to what they perceive you can do. Well, especially when you're in a town that only has 3,000 people in it. Right. You know, it's not that a lot of the people that you're talking to for this advice, just based on necessity, haven't really experienced a whole lot either, right? Exactly. It's hard to see beyond what you've experienced, for sure. Which is why you wanted to get out of town so bad. When you did, you didn't take music scholarships or anything. What did you end up doing when you left town? I ended up getting accepted to the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina, which I prayed for. I only applied to two colleges, and College of Charleston was one. And once I got accepted, I just packed up my stuff, and I moved to Charleston when I was 18, and I have been in Charleston ever since. And how long ago was that? That has been mm -hmm, 16 years now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know anybody in Charleston when you went, or did you just, like, pack your bags and go? Um, hmm. Well, I knew some people in a town that was like 30 minutes away, like a suburban, a suburbia of Charleston. Mm-hmm. But as far as me going to college, I went to college with maybe two of my classmates from high school. And um, yeah, that was it. You still talk to those classmates? I talked to one of them. Yeah. The other one, we kind of threw apart. It's okay. It happens. It's life. And so when you went to college, were you living with these people? Like, how did you find a spot to live if you didn't know anybody in town? Well, um, you were required as a freshman to live on campus. Oh, okay. So my first year, I stayed in a dorm room. It was like a three-person room with two best friends, um, which was interesting. So if you're staying in a dorm, and I feel like we've been talking for five or ten minutes already, and it hasn't come up. What were you drinking when you were staying in the dorms? First of all, I was not drinking at 18 and 19 years old. It's illegal here. <laughs> That's very good of you. And I sort of kind of believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I didn't even go to any clubs until I turned 21. Wow. But I did, you know, I didn't vibe a little bit, but I, I, I don't want to discuss that because I don't promote that anymore. Yeah, of course. You got to be responsible. Yeah. And you you were studying political science in college? Yes. What drew you to political science? Oh, man. Um, Well, going to the College of Charleston, coming from my small town, my small town was pretty mixed, like half and half, white and black. Mm -hmm. And even my my grandparents are like, like my grandfather's mixed. We have third cousins who are white. Like it was pretty mixed. And it was very country, so everyone has the same accent. It's just it's just an interesting little place. So when I came to Charleston, it was really segregated. And it was really different. And just the culture of how people interacted with, with different people of different races on campus kind of confused me. And then we, I took an introductory political class. I was talking about some of these issues in a deeper level. And I was like, man, I think I want to study this and, and see, see my interpretation of, of what's going on in the world. And that's what made me major in political science. So how many papers did you end up writing about the difference between divisions in class and divisions in race throughout college? (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I can't even tell you how many, especially because of the classes I took. I took international business classes. I took um, politics in Africa, which is really funny. You take a whole um, class on a whole continent in only a semester. But you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just different. <laughs> it's just different topics that I just took the interest in me that I knew were going to challenge the way that I think, even if it wasn't my view point i needed to be challenged on how i think about the world Mm -hmm. when you're working with cocktail bandits how much of that do you bring to uh seminars and classes that you teach now i literally want to say 90 percent. i mean our whole goal when we first started cocktail bandits it was a way to get into the system we knew that we couldn't just get into the system the status quo in charleston by fussing and arguing about inequality and just doing all this stuff seven years ago it wasn't it wasn't like it is now where you can go online you have a support system you you were out there doing it yourself so we just figured that if we use cocktails as a segue to get into this status quo this food and bad city and make our names known we can use that platform to politically change the way the restaurant hospitality scene looks so that was our thoughts from the very, very beginning. And even when we chose our logo and we chose like, you know, our, like our motto and everything that we say, it was to convey that, Hey, we're women of color and we like hospitality too. We like leisure as well. We like to enjoy food and drinks as well. And, um, it kind of stuck. So we used our political background to kind of send our message out and infiltrate people on a different level. I love hearing that. That's uh, It's so important to always not just do things because you're good at it or because you want to do it, but there's something driving you to do it, right? Right. Absolutely. So you and Johnny, your partner for the Cocktail Bandits, anyone that didn't listen to last week's episode doesn't know if by chance, you know, <laughs> uh, you two met in college. How long after college did you start working in hospitality? Okay, so me and Johnny met in 2004, um, August, the very first day of college. And I started working in food and bedroom in 2009. So when I finished school, Johnny went to law school. And when I finished, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do anything in politics right now or law. I just want to kind of relax, you know, going from high school straight to college and then talking about those deep issues in such a culturally rich and divisive city is draining. So I was like, I'm going to get into food and bath. And I got into a bar um, downtown that was kind of Coyote Ugly style where you dance on the bar and yeah. you serve drinks. It's like a college style bar. What's the name of that bar? It was called, oh my gosh, Market Street Bloom. Mm-hmm. It's no longer there anymore. It's a piano bar now. But it was so fun and it was a really cool spot and a lot of college kids would come in and then I just realized that you make bank working in food and bev. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, I can do this for a little while to tie me over until I like, you know, figure out what I want to do with my life. And that's how I got started. I, I want to know more about the, this bar where you were dancing on the bar. Like this sounds like a blast. <laughs> it was, it was so fun. And it was an all-girls bar, so they didn't, sorry, guys, they didn't, they didn't, you know, hire men. 
but it was all women and we learned dance moves and we would have signature songs that would come on and we would all do the dances together. There were, you know, certain times where we would go up there individually. I mean, it was just a, it was a blast. I could not have had a better first bartending experience. Well, full on, you know, you read so many articles about bartenders behind a bar moving properly and it's like a dance. You legitimately had a choreographed dance. Yes, we did. <laughs> we had several of them. And I, it was a great concept. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that they closed down, but it was a really cool, interesting concept. And I'm glad that we, you know, I was able to be a part of it. And so when you were part of that, after a while of working at the Coyote ugly style bar, you started trying to do more like advanced cocktail program bars, but you were having a hard time fitting in. Yeah. Well, um, I, after that, I started doing more bars like in the neighborhood that I was living in. So it would be more people of color at the bars that I was working at, Mm -hmm. but they were mostly interested in just quantity and not really elevated cocktail drinks. So Johnny would come in, you know, on her days off, and try my drinks and love them. And I would even like make them for people during their happy hours and stuff like that. But my bosses didn't understand what I was trying to do. So they did not encourage that at all. As a matter of fact, they discouraged it. And I just realized that I needed to go somewhere that was more elevated so I can learn more about the craft because I was getting more into it. I was, you know, refining my palate and I wanted to level up, so to speak. And I was in spaces that weren't allowing me to do that. So when I went back downtown to try to go to a more elevated space, I applied to about 20 or 30-ish bars, and none of them called me back. You know, I was also a black woman. And I had natural hair that wasn't straight and didn't look like a, I guess, professional, quote-unquote, businesswoman. So I found difficulties in just, being in those spaces, period, because you just didn't see any black women in front of house downtown. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that uh, Charleston was, um, compared to where you grew up, where everyone was a little more country, Charleston was pretty divisive. And this is, we're talking 2009, 2010 at this point. Did you find that was the difference in all the restaurants and bars as well? It's like white people hang out at these places, black people hang out at these places, and never the twain shall meet. Well, yeah. And then if you talk about the history of downtown, you know, for a long time, people of color weren't really welcomed. They, they weren't really w- welcomed to different establishments. So people just had an ingrained in them were going to come downtown. So if you ever come to Charleston, you'll see that it's still very old school and people still follow those unwritten old school rules. So you started looking for these other jobs and Johnny, as was established previously, was having a hard time finding the right law firm for her particular set of skills. And you two decided to start the Cocktail Bandits. From your perspective, I asked Johnny before, but just to see how different the story is, how do you feel the Cocktail Bandits came to be? I feel like it came to be, it was kind of serendipitous, I would say, because that was the very beginning of Instagram and really people using social media as a way to promote their services. We were looking at, you know, of course, natural hair video tutorials. We were looking at fitness videos and things like that. And 
we just, we loved all of those things and we saw people making businesses for themselves, but we didn't have anything like that for us. So we were like, you know, we want to get into the business. We want to um, post things like these foodies and people like that, but we did not want to do that. We wanted to do it our way and we loved beverages. We had always loved cocktails and loved like being outgoing and doing all of those things. So we said, hey, let's just try to post some things and see if this stuff catches on. And we literally told everybody in Charleston who would listen to us about this concept. We had already been doing a networking event called Movers and Shakers where we were getting young up-and-coming people um, into the same room together to network because there is no space like that still in Charleston where people who just graduated from college or who are in the professional realm for the first time, there's no space like that. So we created that and then we would give drinks out every month that we would have the event. And so people started loving the cocktails, started asking us what these samples were. We started getting brands interested. And then that's really how Cocktail Bandits even came to be, honestly. And when you started it out, did you think that seven years later you'd have 32,000 followers and have such a hard time keeping up with all the events and, and uh, you know, teachings and everything that you're doing right now? Is this the way you thought it would roll out? Honestly, I could not have imagined this being like this. I felt like it was a great idea. I felt like that it hadn't existed. And even when we were looking to try to find women, not just bartenders, but cocktail enthusiasts, people to get you excited about drinking. Like the bartender's job is to show you a wonderful experience. But I think that the people on the other side of the bar really draw you in and you're like, man, I need to go to that bar and have that same experience. And that we knew that once people saw us in that space, that they would be excited too. So I'm kind of, I'm very surprised about how we evolved, but I knew that it would be a, a good, like I knew it would be a thing. You always believed in it. It's just not necessarily the way that you thought it, you believed in it. Right. Yeah. Like I didn't think that we'd have a book by now. I didn't think that we would have traveled to so many countries just talking about spirits and, you know, the lack of African-Americans and African-American women that are involved in it. We buy a lot of spirits, we buy a lot of drinks, and we buy a lot of name brands, but we're just not aware of the career path that can be in this, in this world. And I think you and Johnny have done a great thing by exploring that yourself and growing into that yourself and maybe leaving it as an example for anyone that sees you now knows that they're also capable of doing it. Absolutely. And that was the goal for me. Um, just for us in the beginning, we looked specifically for people of color and not just, you know, black people, but just people of color in the beverage world, because all those perspectives are so important. So we were just trying to find people of color, trying to find more women. Because um, back seven years ago, they weren't really touting a lot of women in spirits. They weren't really touting a lot of spirits. It was more about chefs right. and farm to table. And so we really wanted bartenders to be on that level, like chefs. And we're pretty grateful that it's looking like that now as the world has evolved. 
Yeah, it's definitely grown a lot. So in all your growing with Cocktail Bandits, and I think this is an important question for anyone, especially with everyone changing their career paths in the last few months based on what they're capable of or what they think they're capable of doing. How many hours a week do you put into the social media for Cocktail Bandits? Okay. Well, just for the social media, I'm going to say that we put in over 15 hours, just social media. But what's so crazy about when you're in business for yourself, and especially when you're starting out, is that you do every part of your business. So we have, we, uh, you know, organize the initial meeting. You have to have the meeting. There's a follow-up after the meeting. Now we're talking about the work. Now we're negotiating prices. Now we're actually doing the work. And you have to post it in real time so you can be smiling and cheerful. Not only do you post in real time, you have to post after the work is done. Follow back up with the brand or client you're working with. And then send invoices. So that takes up over 40 hours a week. Yeah, well over by the sounds of it. It's so much. You have to schedule days off. And that's where we need to improve. And do Saying you, no more and scheduling days off. And do you feel like, I mean, it's a little different now. I guess in Charleston, things are mostly kind of open, yeah? Yeah. So do you feel pressure then, because you're the cocktail bandits from Charleston, Because the government has said, whether right or wrong, because the government has said bars can open again, do you feel pressure that you need to go out? And when you go out, do you still feel like you're working? Um, I don't feel any pressure to go out. A lot of the brands that contact us, they want to do something um, that encourages social distancing, which we enjoyed immensely. We did one pop-up since the COVID, and that was for National Tequila Day on Friday. And it was, they kept us away from everybody. It was super safe. We just gave them our recipe and we were there just to talk to people about our recipe and our book. And so I didn't feel, I felt like they took really good care of us um, being in that space. So in South Carolina too, we're closing our bars at 11 PM. So that's changed a lot. That's changed the entire dynamic of our food and bev scene because most people don't go out until 11. Yeah. So there's a whole other world going on with that. But we're just trying to be as adaptable and open as possible because we're, we're not certain about anything right now. So just take every day and be grateful and it could be worse is how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Trying to uh, focus on the things that prop you up rather than the things that bring you down, right? Absolutely. It's too, it's too much with everything that's going on, with the social distancing, with all of the Black Lives Matter and all of these issues is just too much to carry things that you really don't need to carry. Just just be positive. Yeah. You put out a book two years ago. Yes. It's amazing. I haven't put out a book. I don't know anyone to put out a book, really, except for you and maybe like two other bartender friends. Uh, so in your book, Holy Spirits... Um, you took a lot of time to not only get playful with religious terms, but also you focus on a lot of Charleston's history. Um, why did you think that both history and religion were important to involve in what's ostensibly a book about cocktails? 
Well, that's a great question. We chose the to play on religion because um, downtown Charleston, which is a peninsula, is known as the holy city. And one of the reasons why it's known as the holy city is because they have more churches, like, I guess, per square feet in, in our downtown than, like, anywhere. There's so many churches downtown. So, and you can look up in the sky and you'll see all of the different peaks of the churches. So it's just so, it's just so religious. And we have a, a multicultural world of religions in Charleston. Us personally, we grew up religious. And in the way that we grew up, we weren't even allowed to like take pictures with drinks in our hands. So when right. we were in our 20s, people were like freaking out because we would have a photo with a drink in our hand. So it was kind of a way to take power back and play on that. But, you know, drinks are spirit. We're in the holy city and we're talking about mostly Charleston spirits, um, the historical spirits or just the beverage spirits. I mean, we can play on both of those words. And it just it just worked perfectly for our brand. The part that I liked best going through was something about on the eighth day, God made himself a drink. Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? And then it was a long job. That was a long, hard job. Somebody had to pour him up something. So can I bug you with a, a bit of a Charleston history question? Okay. Do you think the reason that there's so many churches and so many denominations of churches in Charleston is because of the fact that it's a peninsula and it sticks out? Is that like where ships would come to port first a lot of the times coming up from the Caribbean? Charleston is a very, 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 very unique city. It is um, a port city. So they used to bring in a whole bunch of um, different goods. It was also the one of the main cities where a lot of enslaved Africans were brought in to go across the East Coast. I mean, we can go on and on. It's the, one of the first cities that um, produced millionaires because rice was a big cash crop. And we have, like, it's still old money from, from those plantation days. I mean, yeah, a lot of people were here mingling, intersecting, and then Barbados actually is a sister city of Charleston. And Barbados came, Barbados was already colonized. And the people who colonized Barbados went to Charleston to colonize Charleston. And a fun fact is we have more old school Barbadian architecture than Barbados does. Hmm. I mean, even the styles of our porches, the styles of our homes. They're they're all like modeled after old colonial, I guess, Bayesian architecture. Yeah. So it, uh, there's so much to learn about Charleston. We learn new stuff every day. Have you two ever had a chance to go visit Bridgetown or Barbados as cocktail bandits or even on vacation? No. And you know what's so crazy is since they're a sister city, they the the ambassadors of Barbados came to Charleston and we talked for a while and the connection is so like strong that they actually go over there every year. But huh. we learned about this connection last year. And of course this year we've all been sitting down. So that is definitely on our list. And something I'm going to get into this. This is uh, I've only asked a couple of the same questions as I asked Johnny last week. This is the first two parter I've done for the podcast. I think I'm doing, do you think okay. I'm doing okay? 
think you're doing amazing. I mean, you you haven't heard you haven't heard the final result of any of them, so we'll wait and I'll get judgment later. But uh, I asked Johnny before. Um, obviously, you two never waste a breath when it comes to tequila. No. <laughs> and I asked Johnny obviously because the book and because Cocktail Bandits is so definitely a part of Charleston. Involving tequila and something from Charleston. If you were going to make a drink right now, what would it be? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, if I was just doing something simple, I would do a reposado tequila and I would mix it with this grapefruit elderflower soda that's made with some of our friends from Canterbury Beverage Co. It is so good. They don't have a lot of sugar in it and they have just made an amazing product. And it's just three guys that used to go to the same college that we went to. So if I wanted to do an easy breezy Paloma, I would I would definitely use that. We also have local loquats, which is this small fruit that grows on trees um, all around the peninsula. And it's such a sweet um, flavor. I would just muddle those or juice them. Add a little bit of lime and then add a tequila, add a tequila, a blanco. That sounds great, juicy, delicious. Um, I know yes, I said I love juicing for my cocktails. <laughs> I know I said that was going to be the last question, but you touched on it briefly. There are a lot of companies in and around Charleston producing their own things. Yes, a lot. Uh, what are some more of your favorites? This is your friend. This is your chance to give all your friends your shout outs. Oh, I am. I'm excited to hear this. Okay, so I love Jack Rudy. They have this tonic syrup that is amazing. Like, you can just use a little bit of the tonic. It's so flavorful and it's not so sweet. And then you just add some soda water and it's the best gin and tonic I've ever had. We have some friends who make this lemon-lime soda called Hooch that we use in all of our major events because it's quick. It doesn't have a lot of sugar in it. And people love the flavors. Also, I want to shout out Firefly Distillery, which is the first distillery in South Carolina. They changed all the laws. At one point, it was $50,000 to open a distillery in South Carolina. And they fought with Columbia, you know, the capital. And now it's only $5,000 to open up a distillery. So they made waves and strides for everybody else in our wonderful state. I'm super proud of how hard the people in our beverage scene have, you know, gone up to Columbia, to the Capitol, and just fought for these archaic pre-prohibition laws to, you know, come down. We were still drinking mini bottles in 2007. Wow. Yes. Huh. By law. So can you imagine? <laughs> Cocktails, having to use all of that. That's why we split shots, too. That's a fun fact in South Carolina. We split shots because we just literally in the last decade switched from mini bottles, which were 1.7 ounces, to, yeah. Full-size liquor. What Man, your bar backs must be doing crazy runs back and forth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Yes. Tanika, thank you so much. Now, uh, as if I didn't want to go to Charleston before, now I definitely do, if for no better reason than to just, say, to just say that I'm splitting shots, and it'll seem like I'm not drinking as much, right? Yes, it will seem like you're not drinking as much. <laughs> it will be less than, than an ounce, but you know, we, we need to promote 
not drinking too much, too quickly. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Thoughtful drinking, right? Conscious drinking. Yes, thoughtful. Yeah. Yes. Um, if people want to find you, whether it's just you or the Cocktail Bandits, how do they do that? You guys can find us on Instagram at Cocktail Bandits if you want to follow my shenanigans personally i am at melanin 007 that's weird i've never said that on a, a publication or a podcast that's i mean weird. it sounded yeah, real good <laughs> thank you but yeah we're on all major networks at cocktail bandits and um yeah send us a dm hit us up we love to collaborate we love to work together and we just love hearing new ideas we're always open to learning something new Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time again to talk, Tanika. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day. I want to say thank you again for taking time to listen. Thanks to Tanika for chatting with us. Um, Again, we're working on Zoom here. My recording studio is not amazing, so I appreciate your patience in listening through some of the skips and lags that happen there. If you want to find me, I'm at Bartender Atlas on all forms of social media. Make sure if you're messaging us, address it to Josh. Uh, Jess checks that as well. Other than that, hopefully we'll see you soon. Be well.